0: Well, I want to say uh, good morning, <laughs> but it's it 's not a good morning it 's a good afternoon so Merry Christmas uh, to everyone we 're glad that you guys are here. Uh, my name is Seth i 'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at salem it 's hard to believe that Christmas is tomorrow it 's crazy how fast this snuck uh, up on us this year right so uh, as I was thinking about Christmas. Uh, this year, I was thinking about um, just just how much anticipation, right? It goes without saying that Christmas uh, is a time of anticipation. Uh, It's a time of eagerness, and and really what we're talking about is hope, right? It's it's really a time of hope and what we long for and what we we hope for. Um, And it's most notable uh, in kids, right? So we have a a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter uh, who is just now beginning to understand what what gifts are um, and what Christmas is. And so yesterday, uh, Nana and Papa came through the door and they brought with them this whole host of gifts and you should have seen her face you know like she just lit up and and I'm sure she's thinking I mean well and she told us like who's are who's are these are they are these for me do I get them now?" No, you have to wait, and you, know, you have to explain all this, right? And so she's just eager and eager and eager. And, you know, and then trying to get her to bed was just painful, <laughs> you know, because like, like, you're a kid, you're trying to reimagine and put yourself back uh, in that scenario and how excited you are and how it changes. I mean, she, she probably came out of her bedroom like 25 times, uh, and, and eventually, you're just, you know, I mean, you're just like, go back to bed, go back to bed, go back to bed. Uh, and so she started coming down the stairs like this. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like if i if i can't hear you <laughs> then I can be here and I can be present and I can be excited and ready for Christmas and it was adorable, right? And so for us as, as adults, um, if you're an adult like me, um, you know, it changes, Christmas changes things, right? The older you get, uh, the more joy you find in giving gifts rather than getting them. Um, but there's still, there is this intrinsic joy that comes from gifts because you don't know what's in them, right? It's, it's unknown to you and so even as adults, it's still fun to get gifts and this week, um, somebody dropped off a gift for me at church. And so I I grabbed it and I brought it back to my office, and and I looked at it, and I thought, well, I could wait until Christmas. (laughs) I was like, but there's no way that they anticipate me waiting until Christmas to open this. Right, and so I'm like, okay, so I dig into this, dig into this, and as I as I feel it, right, as I'm opening up, it feels like this canvas. And so I thought, okay, so maybe it's a painting, maybe uh, it's a Bible verse, one of my favorite Bible verses. I can go on my wall, and and I wish there was someone there to photograph me, um, because my face just just changed dramatically as I opened it, and I was like a kid opening a gift for the very first time. And here's what I, and here's what they gave me. <laughs> I was like, these people know me. <laughs> these people know me, and they love me. If you don't know me, I am a diehard Chicago Cubs fan, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so that was, like, perfect for me. And, and we know that as Christmas comes, right, like, we know that, that Christmas is, is about an ultimate gift, and it's about, it's about the gift of, of Jesus, Uh, And so I want us to talk about hope. And as you think about it, like, just ask yourself this question, right? Because it's so easy to lose sight of hope in the midst of Christmas because Christmas culture is is just overwhelming, honestly. Um, And so I just want to ask yourself this question. What is hope to me? Like, how does hope get lived out practically in your life and as you think about this, right? Um, Wikipedia actually defines hope this way. They say, um, hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. And when you read that, you go, okay, there's truth to that. We understand that this is true. There's, there's really good pieces to this. But the reality is, is that it, it doesn't necessarily match reality. Um, because as much as we want life to do this, oftentimes life just kind of keeps doing this. And it keeps going down and down and down. Uh, and so we have to ask this question, like, does this fit? Is this, what is the biblical view of hope? And so that's what I want us to see, just maybe with fresh eyes today, um, through this traditional story this this life like life changing this this story has stood the test of time for thousands of years and it's about this person named Jesus who is fully god and fully man that we believe who died for our sins Right? and to give us eternal life. and uh, So that's the story that we're going to look at um, this morning. So if you don't know, or this afternoon, sorry, I did it again. Um, if you don't know, the Bible is, is kind of really written in two parts, um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament really um, lays the foundation for everything that happens in the New Testament. Okay? Um, and if you weren't with us these last couple of weeks, it's totally fine. This story will make perfect sense, I think, on its own today. But if you've been in with us these last couple of weeks on Sundays, we basically did an overview of the entire Old Testament, which is quite the, quite the endeavor, um, and we covered really the whole Old Testament in two weeks. And, and really what we looked at is what we saw is that there is this need for a king. So in light of the fact that there's this brokenness in the human heart, there is this inadequacy, insecurity, this fallen nature inside of us that we can do nothing about. Right? There's nothing I can do to change it. Uh, I am in this, this sinful state apart from God and so So there's there's this real need, intrinsic need for a king, for somebody to do something about this and to make it right, because I cannot. And so there's this need for a king, but it can't be any ordinary king, it can't be some normal, regular, run-of-the-mill king, it's the right kind of king that has to be. And so as we looked at the different kings through the Old Testament, we saw ups and downs, but we saw mostly downs, and at the end of the Old Testament, it ends with every single king failing to make the world right. And so then really the Old Testament ends in anticipation, right? It's like Christmas on steroids. The end, or Christmas Eve on steroids, right? It's this eager anticipation, this, this prolonged moment where these people are waiting for God to make the world right with the right kind of king. And so when you turn the pages into the into the New Testament, the very first page is Matthew 1. And here's what you read. It says the, the book of the genealogy, which, which really means the Genesis or the beginning of the story about this man named Jesus. And he has this royal lineage in this, in this guy named David who was a king a long time ago, right? And so then we have to ask ourselves this question as readers, as we read this with fresh eyes, we say, is this the guy? Is this the man from whom or with whom or through whom that God is going to make the world right? Right? And spoiler alert, we say that he is, right? He is the way, but he doesn't do it in the way that anybody expects him to, right? They expect him to rule and he eventually dies for the forgiveness of our sins, then he's raised to life, right? So the story continues. But this is just the beginning of that story, right? It starts in Jesus Christ. And so I want to summarize, if you don't know the story, I want to summarize the first part of this story before we we, we jump into Luke chapter 2. So the story kind of starts with this young gal named Mary. Mary is a teenage girl, right? And she fears the Lord, like she loves God, and so she's this very righteous young gal. Well, an angel of the the Lord appears to Mary and says, hey, guess what? Um, You're going to give birth. You're going to name his name Jesus. He's going to save the world from her sins, right? And you're like, okay, wow, that's a lot to take in in one moment, right and so when you think about this so her response is well here's the deal mr angel whatever your name is um, here's the deal um, i'm betrothed to this guy joseph and we're not married yet so that's going to have to wait basically it's kind of like your thought and and the angel's like no that's not the way it's going to work because this is going to be of the holy spirit this is going to be something that god does where he works his power inside of you apart from the normal means of, of childbearing and, and you're going to give birth to this, to this man named, this baby named Jesus. And so this, this gal being righteous is like, okay, I'm in. Whatever you say, I'm in, right? Knowing the full well there's gonna be consequences and ramifications, not least of which is her betrothed, right? So Joseph, right, they're, they're engaged, they're betrothed. Uh, Mary probably starts to show signs of pregnancy. Um, as a would-be husband, what are you thinking? There's been unfaithfulness, you know, what do I do? And so Joseph, he sees this happening and he decides to separate from her quietly so that way she can maintain her dignity and her honor as much as possible. Right? And yet then this angel shows up again. My good timing says, Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. This is a thing that is from God. And so he says, okay, I'm all in. And so then these two most unlikely people, right, they they come together in this chaotic yet joyful journey as God is gonna reveal the story as it continues to go. And so it's in this time that these Romans, the people who have conquered basically the known world, uh, Caesar orders a census, and so everybody has to travel to their hometown. Uh, and in their hometown, what do they have to do? They have to be registered. So they're living up in north in Nazareth. Um, Joseph is from Bethlehem, which is 80 miles away, um, about a couple miles southwest um, of Jerusalem. And so they have to travel, and this is super inconvenient. It's about six days worth of Travel. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know like y- your body hurts probably after a mile. Try doing it for, for six six days, right? Pregnant. Right? You're gonna feel every clod, every hoof, like like every nook and cranny of the road, right? It's just super inconvenient. And you would expect, like, hey, this is God's child, right? This is God's son. Right? You would expect like some angelic limousine. You know, like, so like, they're like, God's like, hey, you need to go down. Cool, cool, cool. These angels show up, they pick her up, and from everybody else's perspective, she's just like floating through the air, you know? Like, that would be be neat. But here's the thing, is that as God is working out his cosmic plan of redemption and salvation to bring the world to right, he doesn't remove the daily difficulties. This is still the way that life works. And so they have to travel 80 miles down to Bethlehem, right? And when they get there, you're, you have to, okay, where do we go? Where are we going to stay? This is going to be a period of time that we're here. Uh, and so they go to, you know, what's oftentimes referred to as the inn, which is, which is really probably just a guest room in one of Joseph's relatives' homes. And so they show up, and in the back corner of this tiny house is maybe this little room, or maybe up on stilts there's this platform that they use for guests. And, and upon arriving in this space, what they find is that it's occupied. Right? There is a family probably already there. And they are. Un- the text doesn't tell us this, but they're probably unwilling to move. <laughs> right? Which is beside me, because I don't know. You see a pregnant teenager. You should say, please have my room. right? And for whatever reason, they, they don't move. So maybe they're like hoarders, and they travel with 80 bags of luggage. Maybe they have 25 kids. <laughs> And it's uh, just impossible. Um, maybe they're giving birth. <laughs> we just don't know, right? Um, but what's more likely is that they see these two people who are betrothed, and they see that she's very much pregnant, and they begin to do this. I'm not going to give up my room for you. You should know better. And it's likely in this state that there's already this judgment on her for carrying this child. And it starts, this pain would probably be painful and very, and very hard, right? And it's in this that the only space available to them is this little nativity place. So it's probably this little uh, outcropping kind of built off of the side of the house or maybe it's a cave underneath the house, but it's the space in which they bring the animals away from the weather for shelter. And it's in this environment and in this situation that the king of the world, the creator of everything, by the way, enters into the world. He's wrapped in claws and he's laid in a food trough where horses and donkeys slobber everywhere. Right? This, is the, this is the way that, the, that Jesus enters into the world. And it's very humble and yet it's filled with joy because there's these massive promises that are attached to Mary and Joseph about this baby. And so here's where we pick up is in chapter 2 of Luke in verse 8. And what we're going to find is that the the hope that's coming into the world, because remember we're tracing the theme of hope, the hope that's coming into the world uh, is going to extend for the first time in this story outside uh, their family because it started with Mary through the angel, then it started with Joseph through the angel, and then in some way, shape, or form hope came to this family in the household. Now whether they received it or not, we don't know, but it's there but now what's gonna happen is that hope is gonna to extend to these random strangers down the road, right? God's like, let's, let's start this story strong, okay? And so here's what happens. Chapter two, verse eight, it says, and in the same region, so right around Bethlehem in that area, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now here's the first thing you need to know about shepherds. Shepherds are fringy people okay? So they're like on the outskirts. They're people um, that, that other people don't typically associate with because it's, it's hard work. It's long hours. You, you, everywhere you go, you're like, want to go to a movie? Cool, but I have to bring my sheep, you know? Um, so like there's this, this massive this struggle around it, and it's dirty. It's hard, right? And so they're not really talked to a whole lot, right? And so they would have been out in this, and here's a picture, um, out in this field. Imagine this Um, maybe just fully green because it would have been a different time of year. This is associated with the shepherd's field. This is where they would have been, something like this, right outside of Bethlehem, uh, tending their flock. Uh, And it says it's by night. So imagine it being dark. So as it gets dark, you take shelter for the evening. So this next picture is a picture of this outcropping um, of rock that is right, um, right in that area. And so it would have been something maybe like this that these shepherds would have been gathered underneath right, to stay out of the weather. Okay? Um, and what's unique about this space, this is a special place to me and to my wife. Because when we were in Israel, this is before we adopted our daughter, Eden. Um, And in this space, I had the privilege to share a devotion with our uh, 30-person group. And and part of what we talked about was this this journey, right, of marrying Joseph in six days all the way down. Um, But but what I shared from my own life is, is that Nikki and I have dealt with in the past and still deal with today is infertility. And it's this painful dark story that's hard, right? And it just, it wrenches inside of me when I choose to think about it. And yet, right, it's also attached to tons of hope. Because for us, what we longed for and what we wanted was for God to bring a baby into the world to make things right. And Yes, so when you begin to think about it through that perspective and that lens, except not on a small level, on a cosmic level, the world, all of creation is groaning and waiting for God to bring a baby into the world who will eventually make all of the world right. Right? And so it's in this space that God is starting that story of hope, right? With these random no-name shepherds, okay? And, uh, and here's what happens. Something kind of crazy and bizarre happens in verse 9. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Um, some, maybe this doesn't happen to you guys uh, at your house, but every once in a while I will walk into a room where my wife is, and she doesn't know that I'm there. And we end up doing like separate things for a moment. And then I say something, and she goes, Oh my goodness. (laughs) You know? And it's like you've caught her off guard, you've startled her, right? Imagine these shepherds uh, who your primary responsibility is to protect your flock from um, all sorts of dangers, including random men that appear. So this guy, this guy appears, but not only that, the glory of the Lord shines around them. (laughs) This is this crazy moment. Right, it's this crazy moment. This is not to be confused with the firelight, right? It's not like the like the fire is creating this special, effervescent glow, and you're like, whoa, cool, it's the Northern Lights. No, this is the glory of the Lord shining uh, around them and it's in this space right that you you begin to think like when the human heart the human mind and consciousness right in all of its finiteness in all of its inadequacy in all of its brokenness when that veil is pierced between our world and god's world and you see the glory of the lord what are you going to do you're going to be afraid Right, it's tremendous. I mean, it's just like, oh my goodness, this is not normal day things. What's happening? What's going on? And the angel has to acknowledge this because the first words out of his mouth in verse 10 are fear not. For behold, I am bringing, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel shows up, you guys, guys, this is not, I'm not bringing a message of wrath, I'm not bringing a message of judgment, I'm not doing any of that, in fact, I'm doing quite the opposite, okay, guys? Here's what I'm doing. I'm showing up, I'm telling you that God is doing something right now where he is working on your behalf for your ultimate good, you people who don't deserve it, by the way, I don't even know your names, shepherds, who are you? He's doing it for you. He's working, ultimate good for you, right? And this is, this is the thing that he says, right? It's good news for you. you, Have great joy, that will be for all of the people. So it's not just for you, it's actually for everybody. I want you to notice two things as you think about this. If you're a king and you want to disseminate information, you want to communicate with your people, what do you do? Do you, you probably just tell your next person in line, tell your next people, next people, next people, and then like two months later, it filters down to a random, you know, no-name people. And they're like, oh, the word of the king, okay, cool. We well, see, when God communicates with the world, he does this massive reversal, and he enters in at the lowest level, not the highest level, he enters at the lowest level in this humble way, and he speaks to people who would never otherwise have heard it and he allows the information to trickle upward out of these no-name people. There's tremendous hope in this story, right? Tremendous hope in this story right? Um, and so really, the reality is, is that this is a message for everybody, but he starts with the lowly people. And here's what he does. He's going to unpack this good news. So he unpacks. It's not, he not just like leave it there. He says, let me tell you about it. He says, verse 11, for unto you, which is very personal and intimate, by the way, what other religion can boast like God coming and speaking personal in this way and in this capacity all throughout scripture? It's crazy, right? he says, for unto you, this is relational, is born this day, like right now, in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And so for us as readers in the 21st century, we hear this and we think, okay, yep, so there's a fulfillment probably here of some sort. Um, But for these people who would have been Old Testament readers... What they would be hearing is all of the massive Old Testament themes and promises and prophecies and scriptures like culminating in this single moment. And so the story that they're actually hearing, the words that would be ringing in their minds and their hearts is this, God is bringing the true and final king into this world who will make things right forever. You think, you're, you think your anticipation is like going, going through the roof, right? You were just afraid like 10 seconds ago, and now you're, it's been replaced with hope. It starts to swell, massively swell inside of you. This is what God is doing, right, in, uh, in this space, right? And so the angel is like, hey, guys, if you want to meet him, not to be creepy, but if you want to find him, you want to go meet him, here's some directions. Here's verse 12. He says, and this will be a sign to you or for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, for us, when we think about this, we, again, it just causes us to reflect because we think, man, like a king, the, the king, the creator of the world is being born into this world, and if he is rightful of every royalty that this world has to offer, you would expect for him to be born in a royal palace, in a royal place. And yet, when you think about it and you remember that, that God is showing up who? Not to these big royal people. He's showing up to the lowliest of low people. Guess where Jesus is born? in the low list of low places. And so we begin to see that these two stories match pretty evenly, don't they, right? And this is what God is doing, right? And so when these shepherds go to meet Jesus, guess what? You need to bring your sheep, guess what? It's okay, because there's already sheep there. And there's hay for everybody, you know? Come on, let's go, let's celebrate this Jesus, right? And so we begin to see the way these stories actually blend together perfectly. Right, and this is what God is doing. He's starting with the lowliest of lows. Which, by the way, if you're like a shepherd and Jesus is born in a palace and, and God like shows up to you in an angel and you go rap on the door and you say, hey, we're here to see Jesus. What are the guards going to do? Go away. Right? It's like trying to get into the backstage of a concert to see Tim McGraw. Not going to happen. you know, Because there's guards. Right? But here, these stories match perfectly. And so the, the hope that's in this, you see the way that hope is working here because what's happening is that these shepherds who are no-name people and grungy, fringy jobs are thinking to themselves probably that this king who's going to rule the world is accessible even to me. It's incredible. This massive story of hope. right? It's tremendous hope to the lowliest of lows. Wow. And here's how the story kind of wraps up, and it's kind of climactic in verse 13, because if you think that one angel showing up is weird, check this out. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel, where'd they come from, a multitude. How many is that? I don't even know. A multitude of the heavenly host praising God. They're singing and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? So they're praising God for entering into the story. He's about to make things right. We want the world to know it. And it's just this random little group of shepherds. That's your audience. Isn't that crazy? Right? Shouldn't you have done that like in in like Jerusalem town square? And it's these random shepherds in the middle of a field right? It's it's absolutely crazy. And he says, for those of you who align yourself with this king, it's not conflict, it's not war, it's none of that. It's it's this thing called peace. Do you see the hope that's swelling in this story? Tremendous story of hope in this moment. And so if I could summarize the way the rest of this story goes, here's, here's what happens. The angels leave Right, uh, uh, shepherds probably in shock. Uh, do they just sit there and stay and say, like, gosh, that was kind of kind of cool, but I really would rather just watch sheep. No, they like, let's go, let's go see this. And guys, here's the deal: like, these aren't just discontent shepherds, right? It, these are hardworking, in it shepherds. And so it's not like I can't imagine in that moment one of the shepherds like, man, if somebody just offered me anything other than sheep right now, I would do it. And the angel is like, hey, here you go. <laughs> okay, here we go. Right? That's not the way it is. There's something intrinsically powerful that's happening in this moment that is drawing the shepherds to Jesus. And you see the way that hope is working here, right? Because they long they long for something more they long for something better something deeper more powerful right something better than the way that life is even in this moment right he has this king must have all the answers that i need and so then you fast forward they they run to bethlehem and mary and joseph and jesus are here can you imagine these random shepherds showing up in your space wanting to hold your baby who are you <laughs> would be my first question. Where are you from? Are your hands dirty? Three pumps of sanitizer, please. (laughs) I know what you do. I know where you work. That's gross. Right? If you want to touch my baby. Because for for Mary and Joseph, right, it's this idea that like there's this joy because he's their son and yet they know that he has a joy that they will get to share with the world, even if it means by starting with random strangers. And you see the way that this hope has extended beyond their family, right, to these random no-name people in the middle of a field who all of a sudden are drawn to Jesus. It's incredible what God is doing in this story and how he does this, right? So much hope. And as you look at this, right, you think the story is going great, right? It doesn't stop there. It hasn't peaked yet, because then out of the middle of nowhere, these wise men show up, right? The magi, magicians, these astrologists who've been tracking how you do this. I don't even know. They're tracking stars, and they go, wow, something big is happening. Let's go there. And so they go, and they arrive in Jerusalem, and there's whatever, however many people they are, we don't know, but it causes all of Jerusalem to be in a stir. Right? It says that all of Jerusalem is disturbed by this, right? And here's what they did: they came in um, to this this normal like kingly person, Herod. Here's what you should never do, by the way: never ask this question. Excuse me, King, where is the new king? Because it's basically what they do. They come in, right? And they're like, where is he? And they find out it's down in Bethlehem. So they check down and they drop off these three massive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which is where we oftentimes confuse the three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know there were three gifts, right? And they just dropped all this money in their lap. And you're like, Mary and Joseph, you're like, wow, like I'm gonna buy a nice house, right? Like life is getting really good, right? Royalty, here we come. Royalty, here we come, right? We got the son of God has this baby, right? What's happening here? It's crazy, it's incredible, it's good. But then, guys, this is where it all goes wrong. This is where the story takes this turn because that that kingly guy, Herod, over in Jerusalem, as soon as he finds out, he's deeply insecure, and as soon as he finds out there's a would-be king, what does he do? Does he, like, uh, get off his throne and be like, man, I've had a good run, peace, I'm out. No, he sends an army, And if you're Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, here's what you hear through the grapevine. Um, Herod, who's just a few miles away in Jerusalem, has sent an army and they're marching the, the two, three miles and they're coming for your baby. Fear? Much? Scary. So what do you do? Like, oh, goodness. Angel shows up, says, you guys should flee. Okay, cool, we're in. What do we do? We hop on our donkey and go as fast as our slow donkey will go. And they travel this 300-mile journey. If you thought 80 miles was long, right? try 300 miles all the way down to Egypt. And on the way, here's what happens, is that you hear to the grapevine about this massacre. Because Herod, in his attempt to keep his throne, has ordered every single child, every male child under the age of two, to be murdered in the entire region. And so here you are, Mary and Joseph, carrying the sole survivor, knowing that everyone else's baby is gone. It's painful. It's hard. They get to Egypt, and they live for a year or two years, right? They raise this baby, this miracle baby, in a place that's not their own, with no family, with no friends. All of their money that was dropped in their lap is now gone because they've had to support their family. They eventually return back after Herod dies. They think maybe it's safe. Turns out Herod's son is still around. So what do we do? We can't be in Bethlehem. So we make another 80 mile journey back to Nazareth into this tiny little town, right? Which is where Mary is from. And I, and I, it doesn't, text doesn't tell us this, but you have to think that this is a rumor mill churning. Have you heard Mary's story? Have you heard about their pregnancy? Something's not right. I can't believe, you know? And they would raise this child probably in a town that looks at them with scorn. And so as you think about Mary and Joseph's first three years, it's hard to imagine a more difficult story. It's hard to imagine a more painful story. Now for us, we can relate to that because this last year and a half has been hard, but it's not the same. It really isn't. We can relate to it. And when life is hard, what do we do? We start to ask really hard questions. Where is God in all of this? What is he up to? Why are you doing this, right? And and out of that, we can become jaded and bitter and angry, which all the way, by the way, stems from fear, right? And remember that we're in a story where God says, do not fear, because I'm doing something amazing. I'm doing something good. I'm, I'm working on your behalf, bringing good into the world. right? And so for, for me, as I think over this last year and a half, right, right and everything that, is, that has been jumbled up and cobwebbed and sticky-messed into this pandemic culture, Right? There was this anger uh, and, and fear and angst and bitterness in everything that was said over this last year and a half. I, I know those aren't gone, but it feels to me like there's been some settling. And maybe it's just because we're attuned to the culture. Now we know we're familiar with these problems because when they were new problems, we got angry. Now they're just normal problems. And so, but it feels to me like that everyone is in this state of general discontentment. You see, everybody's longing for something that's more. Everybody's longing for something more. Have you noticed this, or have you sensed this in culture? And it raises the question, what is hope to you? How do you define hope, and what are you looking forward to? What are you longing for most in this world? Because every single person in this room has ups and downs, and our ups are not long and they're more infrequent than we want them to be. In fact, life is filled with more downs than it is ups, probably. And if we're honest, even in our highest of highs, we know inside of our hearts that there is a gap between that moment and the ceiling, that there's something still beyond that I long for and crave and need, and guess what, spoiler, it's Jesus. This is the story of Christmas. There is an ultimate hope that God is working towards that we can cling to in this life. Ultimate hope is this, right? Richard Bachman says this, ultimate hope is the unconditional final achievement of God's purposes for all of creation, the full renewal of heaven and earth. You see how big and cosmic this thing is, And we have this tendency to focus right in these little things. How will Christmas bring hope and joy to my world? And God's like, man, I gave you Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. Guys, Christmas has no meaning apart from his death. Because Christmas, apart from Jesus dying for the sins of the world, means that our sins are left untouched. And Christmas is just another time to get presents. There's so much hope in Christmas. Some of you guys might know the story of Josh Fuger. Josh, uh, his parents attend here, Mark and Shelly, and, and Josh was 32 years old, and he was in the hospital for about two weeks and fighting pneumonia, and his body just kept getting weaker and weaker, and really, uh, it, was, it was this. But depending on the hour, the minute, it was, he's doing well, he's not doing well, and it was just this painful journey to watch um, and I got the privilege just to go and talk with him and I heard him talk about Jesus. And Mark, his dad, came in later in this time as things were going uh, down uh, and Mark had a difficult conversation with him and Josh had to make the decision, do I want to live this life on a ventilator and breathing, or in feeding tube or do I want to meet Jesus? And as he decided to remove all of that, it's in his last moments that you see hope. Because as his family comes in, and they gave each other hugs and loved on each other, and and as he said goodbye to all of the nurses and the staff, here's what you'll see. Josh sharing confidently the hope that he had in Jesus. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's what's so incredible about hope. And this is what Mark, his dad, the verse that he shared with me as we talked this week, he said, but we do not want you to be unformed, brothers that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. We have tons of hope in Jesus. And what I love about Josh's story is that in the same way that hope expanded to the shepherds and then it expanded to the wise men and eventually expanded all the way through the world 2,000 years later to Josh on his bed telling this nurse about Jesus. This is the hope that we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, as we finish our our, um, our time this Christmas Eve service, uh, in this moment, Lord, I'm reminded uh, of the hope that we have and that there's nothing in life. As I think about the shepherds, right, this is the truth that, that, that whoever we are in the lowliest of lows and whatever our story, like you are a God who comes to that space and says, here's Jesus, here's hope for you. And so whether there's people in this room who are have been walking with Jesus for a long time and just struggling through death and grief, there's hope. And if there's people in this room who have never heard of Jesus or who have grown up with him but never thought about it, there's hope. And you meet us right where we are. And so, Lord, would you give us hope? And as I think about 1 Peter, who ends, you know, Peter, as he shares this, he says, even though you do not see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy inexpressible, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We love you, amen.